I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to be looking at um, the second commandment in the Ten Commandments. And so to kind of rehearse where we've been and where we're going. The first week we looked at kind of the introductory statement to the Ten Commandments. And we talked about the idea that the character of the lawgiver is really important, that he redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt, but he redeemed them and set them free not to just go and live the life that they wanted to live, but he set them free that they may serve him. And in a similar manner, the Lord sets us free from our bondage to sin and death, not just so that we can then go out and live however we want to live, but that we would live our lives for his purposes in the world. And then last week we looked at the importance of worshiping the Lord alone and how sometimes in times of plenty, we don't always recognize our need for the Lord or in times of difficulty, we're, we're tempted to turn away from God as our only hope and look to other things for what only God can provide. This week, we're going to look at not making for ourselves idols. Next week, we're going to talk about the importance of hallowing the Lord's name. And then, because I know it's a holiday weekend, some of you won't be here. Um, giving you a heads up, next weekend I'll be here, but the following weekend I'll be out, and Mark Genelette will be here, and he's going to preach on the Sabbath. So Mark's a dear friend and a really gifted preacher, and so I hope you'll be here for that one if you happen to be out doing something fun next weekend, okay? Exodus chapter 20, I invite you to listen, beginning in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think it is just the truth that our minds don't like vacuums. And so when something is coming up that we don't know or we've never experienced or someone we've never met, it just happens that our minds paint pictures of what's coming before us. Um, I think you can relate to this if you think about meeting someone for the first time. So perhaps you've had a phone conversation with this person or you know of them through their children or someone else, and you're going to meet them for the very first time. If you're like me, your mind can't help but draw a picture of that person's face in your head. Do you relate to that? And then how many times is it true that when you show up to meet them, they look nothing like what you anticipated? It's almost always the case that, that they're not exactly who I thought they would be, even through talking with them or interacting with them. I mentioned to you several times I love doing premarital counseling. And usually I know one side of the family, but I don't know the other side of the family. And, of course, I draw this picture in my mind of what they must be like. And it never fails. On the rehearsal day they walk in, I'm like, oh, that's what you look like. Not what I thought. Any experience that I have for the first time, I told the first service, one of my great fears in life is going to the dentist. I hate it. No offense if you're in dentistry. But there is this anticipation of whatever they're going to do, particularly in my mouth, that it's going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to me and it's going to hurt so badly. And then usually when I go, it's not quite as bad as I thought it might be. 
If I'm going on a trip to a new place, have some idea of what it's going to look like or what we're going to experience, and then reality is usually different. And it's usually the case that that's not that big of a deal. That in my mind, if I imagine something that's different or a person that's different than I think they're going to be, it's not that big of a deal if they're different. kind of makes life fun in a way. It would kind of be boring if I knew what everyone looked like before I met them. But as it relates to our relationship and our understanding of God, it is not good if you and I, when we hear the word God, we have some picture or some image of who God is that isn't consistent with the reality of his person. I want you to think about this. Even if you look around the sanctuary this morning, I'm guessing there's somebody in here that you've never really had an in-depth conversation with. Is that true? And there might even be someone in here that you think, man, I don't know, they look kind of tough to me. Have you ever felt that way with somebody? You're like, whew, we're going to have lunch, but this might, this might be tough. I don't know about this person. Do they ever laugh? I'm not sure. There's these kind of moments where you're, and then usually when you meet them, you hear their story and you hear more about them, and it's a totally different understanding of that person than you had built up in your mind usually. But there's a thing that if your per- perception of someone isn't as welcoming or drawing you in as you would think they would be, then you have a tendency to kind of avoid them rather than draw near to them. And I think it often happens with us in our understanding of who the Lord is. That whatever it is, when I say God, whatever pops into your mind or however you conceive of who God is, might have the tendency, rather than to draw you to the Lord, it might actually have a tendency to push you away from the Lord. And so this morning we're going to talk a little bit about who God is, why it matters, and how it ought to change our relationship with him and also how we live in the world. Now, the commandment that I read to you is probably one that you've heard a lot. You should not make for yourself an idol. And if you read the book of Exodus, it's really frustrating because the Lord says, don't make for yourself an idol. And they continue on this journey that God's leading them on. And Moses steps away for a while. And the people are left there with Aaron and they start to panic. And they're like, all right, Aaron, we need some visible representation of God. We need something. We can't just be out here in the wilderness without knowing what God is like. And so Aaron answers their request and he makes what he calls calves that are their guys that led him out of Egypt. Okay. Now, to say that God was upset with this is quite an uh, understatement. If you go back and you read Exodus 32 through 33, this is what the Lord says. The Lord says, hey, Moses, I've had it up to here with these people. Just go ahead. You step over there, and I'm going to take care of them, and we're just going to start over again with you. And i got to think if I was Moses, part of me might have been like, all right, I'm good. I'll be over here. (laughs) Because from the get-go, they're just tough people to lead. Like they're just grumblers and whiners, and I can imagine that there's a part of Moses, maybe deep down, he'd been like, all right, I like that plan, let's try again. But Moses doesn't do that, and he intercedes for the people, which is a fancy word. He steps in and he prays for them. And he intercedes with the Lord in this fascinating conversation where he says, you can't destroy them, 
in part because it's not in keeping with your character, and also the peoples that know that you led them out of Egypt are going to say terrible things about you and say he just led them out only to destroy them in the wilderness. And so the Lord relents, and he answers Moses' prayer. And then in one of the most incredible passages in all of Scripture, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 that I read for you a minute ago, these are verses that everyone should know. You should know Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Because in these verses, God says, this is what I'm like. I had a professor in seminary who was a funny guy and kind of said things straightforward every now and then. He said, you know, it's fascinating. Everybody's walking around wondering what God's like. And he said it like right here in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And in that passage, as God passes by Moses, I want you to listen again to what he says he's like. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. So he's merciful and he's gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So, so what is God like? Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, faithful. He forgives sin and iniquity, but he doesn't overlook the things that we do wrong. And really, these verses and this characteristics or these description of who God is, you see this over and over again all throughout Scripture. Read the Psalms. Just encourage you to go home, read all 150. I know you're going to. Go home and just read all of them and just see over and over again how often the people of God look back to this revelation of God's character as kind of this foundational understanding so that when someone would ask us the question, who is God? We could do a whole lot worse than saying Exodus 34, 6, and 7. This is what God is like. As you continue to read through the story of Scripture, over and over again, the people had this longing for some visible representation of God that would somehow fill that void that they had in their mind. And God chooses to reveal himself not in a statue or not in a picture, but he chooses to reveal himself most fully through his word and through his works in creation and then ultimately in the person of Jesus. Now, I talked about this on beach retreat when I was with the youth, and I just walked through and helped them see that there's a couple of ways that God reveals himself. One is called general revelation, which just means everybody gets to see this. So when you walked out this morning, and if you paid attention to everything around you in creation, and you didn't just kind of go humdrum past everything to your car, but you stopped for a minute, and you're like, the sun came up today. That's incredible. You know what I saw in my new neighborhood this morning? A deer. Yes. I'm on a little, I would call it a jog, but it's slower than a jog. What is slower than a jog? I went on a jog down the street and back, and I passed this deer, and like he didn't seem to be bothered by my presence. Just like, huh, you know? But you think about everything in creation and the ways that God reveals himself 
And you look around, and it's, it's right for us when we go to the Rocky Mountains, when you go to the Grand Canyon, when you see some beautiful waterfall, anytime you go to South Carolina, to just look at everything God created, and you're just like, wow, this is incredible. Like, an incredible creator made all of this. General revelation. And then special revelation is when God says, all right, I'm going to help you see who this creator God really is in clearer terms. So you get things like the Bible and you get things like Exodus 34, 6 through 7. And ultimately you get the person of Jesus. So that as you and I answer the question, what is God like? Who is he? We don't have an idol. We don't have something that we see. But we see what God has done. And we see him by his work in the world and most fully in the work of Jesus. Now I want to show you this in the passage in Hebrews that speaks so beautifully to this. Hebrews chapter 1. This is a really important passage for me at least in Scripture. Beginning in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he spoke to his people through people like Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all those folks. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So he says, if you look back in the Old Testament, God revealed himself through intermediaries of the prophets. So not all the people were up on the mountain with Moses. Just Moses got that, and he came down and he told it to the people. But in these last days, rather than giving us a word through a prophet, the word... You might hear John 1, took on flesh and dwelt among us. So that to know God most fully is to look at who he's revealed himself to be in the person of Jesus. Now, I got I to tell you, as I was thinking about this sermon this week, I was thinking about the stained glass windows in our sanctuary. And I tried to make everybody in the first service a little bit nervous. And I said, if we were really good Baptists, like really hardcore, die-in-the-wool Baptist people, you know what our windows would look like? Just glass. Because we'd be real nervous about making any images that might give us a false understanding of who God is. But I want you to look at the pictures of Jesus, especially the bare-chested Jesus, like there. Or maybe the ones up behind me, you can't see them that well up behind me, but like, Jesus looks like he's ready for summer vacation. Like, he's a fit guy. He's got, you know, big pecs, got a six-pack down the middle. I mean, in our representations of Jesus, if we're not careful, there's this tendency to idolize what Jesus looked like on the outside. And the reason why I think we have to be so careful with that is that, that you and I can have that tendency kind of to come before the Lord and think that we measure up to the degree that we kind of have it all together on the outside. That if we have this picture of God in our minds that, 
that he is perfect, which he is in his holiness. But if he's perfect in this way that you and I focus on the outward understanding of what he looks like, then you and I can be prone to also idolize those attributes in ourselves. And then it starts to work on our hearts. And really there is this teaching in in the Bible that we become like what we worship. We're transformed more into its image, whatever it is. And I want you to think about the fact this morning, look around the room, and I think it's true that if Jesus were to walk in here today, like first century, in the flesh Jesus, that you and I wouldn't even notice him. Or if we did, we'd be like, there's a very ordinary looking person. Dark hair, dark eyes, dark skin, maybe not that well dressed. And I would venture to say that all of us that spent at least some time in front of a mirror before we came today, did you? This week, you'll spend some time in front of a mirror, and that's okay. It's kind of a gift to the community that you did. But there's, there's this idea that you and I, if we have this understanding of the Lord that's so focused on something like that, that it transformed our hearts, and then we start to elevate things that aren't ultimately important in the eyes of the Lord. So you know how do you see Jesus' glory most fully? Where do we see Jesus' glory most fully? That he didn't come into the world as a conquering king. He didn't come as this powerful ruler. He didn't come riding in on a, a big horse. That ultimately you and I see the glory of Jesus and the identity of God and his character most fully in the fact that the God of all creation that made everything that you see and think is beautiful and also made you in his image humbled himself to take on flesh and to be made like us in every respect, yet without sin. And he was so faithful to the Father's plan that he went to the cross for us. So Jesus is most glorious when he's on the cross at what you and I would turn our eyes away from to see. Because in that moment, you and I see the fullest expression of God's love for us in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So what is, what is God like? Well, he's Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He's all those things. And if you had to answer the question really succinctly, you should say, God is like all that we've seen him to be in Jesus. There's a really good book that I would commend to any of you to read. Rejoicing in Christ is what it's called. It's by a guy named Michael Reeves. It's the best book that I've read in a long time by someone who's still alive. (laughs) Rejoicing in Christ by Michael Reeves. And one of the things that he says about Jesus in that book that is so helpful to me He says, I want you to think about in your mind, what is God like? And if there's anything in there that doesn't ultimately line up with or resonate with who God's revealed himself to be in Jesus, 
then you have something in your mind, but you do not have the Lord. If there's anything in your understanding of the character of God that doesn't ultimately line up with who he reveals himself to be in the person of Jesus, then you may have an idol in your heart that you're worshiping, but you're not worshiping the true and living God. And why that matters for you and for me is that most of us go through lots of seasons where we feel like we don't measure up or we're not enough. Anybody else? Yep. And in those moments when I'm not, if I think God can't relate to me or doesn't understand what it's like to be in my shoes or hasn't loved me so much that he's moved toward me in Jesus, then I can be not drawn to him, but repelled from him. But as my heart is melted by the gospel to understand God's love for me, then this other thing happens that I become transformed more into the image of Jesus. And rather than judging you so much by what you look like on the outside or how you perform, or rather than kind of saying y'all are in or y'all are out or I'm doing this, that I become more like Christ. And I'm drawn more to the things that Christ is drawn to. My heart's moved more for what his heart is moved for. And in those moments when that happens, this really amazing thing that God allows us to participate in is to be people who bear his image in the world such that people might say, like, you're different. Why are you the way that you are? And you can say, I believe in a God who drew near to me in the person of Jesus that didn't owe me anything. If anything, he owed me judgment and alienation. He pursued me so that I might have a relationship with him forever through faith in Christ. Let me tell you about that. And I think as more of that happens in your heart and my heart, more and more people are going to want to know the Lord and to hear this good news of all that God's done for us in Jesus. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in everything that we see. We thank you for coming into the world and taking on flesh in the person of Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that your glory wasn't about what you looked like on the outside. It wasn't about the acclaim that you won. But ultimately, it's about this truth that you are high and holy and lifted up, but there is no one as meek and gentle and lowly as you. And so we pray that you would help us to understand you most fully as you've revealed yourself to us in Jesus, and that as we look upon you and worship you and understand you more, that you would transform our hearts, that we would then be image bearers of Christ in this world. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.